Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Each week at this time, you can hear beautiful music and a powerful message from God's Word by our pastor, Dr. Randy Ray. Stay tuned for the next 60 minutes to Family Bible Hour. I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 139, and we're going to look at uh, verses 13 through 16 in just a moment. The title of the message today is Life, and uh, that is exactly what we are uh, going to be speaking about today, are matters of life. When it comes to the matter of life, the life of the unborn, there is a clear divide in America. America could not be more clearly divided uh, on an issue than it is on the issue of, of life. And that's reflected in the two party platforms of the, the uh, two uh, recent conven- uh, conventions, political conventions. Let me give you the two opposing views. I won't identify the party. I'll just give you the views. And uh, it, you, you may or may not know them. The first one, the party strongly and unequivocally Uh, supports Roe v. Wade and a woman's right to make decisions regarding her pregnancy, including a safe and legal abortion, regardless of ability to pay. We oppose any and all efforts to weaken or undermine that right. Abortion is an intensely personal decision between a woman, her family, her doctor, and her clergy, and there is no place for politicians or government to get in the way. We also recognize that healthcare and education help reduce the number of unintended pregnancies and therefore also reduce the need for abortions. That's one party. Here's the other party. Faithful to the self-evident truths enshrined in the Declaration of Independence, we assert the sanctity of human life and affirm that the unborn child has a fundamental individual right to life which cannot be infringed. We support a human life amendment to the Constitution and endorse legislation to make clear that the 14th Amendment protections apply to unborn children. Those are the two um, uh, party platforms regarding uh, that particular issue as it relates to life. What we really must determine more than what the Democrats say and more than what the Republicans say, what we must determine is what does God say about life issues? What is God's posture, God's opinion, God's stand, God's word regarding life? Society's disregard for life is certainly front and center in the reality that we are living in wicked days and are guilty of our wicked ways. We've been trying to say this uh, over and again, Second uh, Chronicles, and this is <clears throat> our third message, and there won't be many messages in this series, maybe one or two more. But 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if you'll read this aloud with me, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, that's what our ongoing text has been saying. Here's the specific text for today's message from Psalm 139 beginning in verse 13 for you formed my inward parts you knitted me together in my mother's womb I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made wonderful are your works my soul knows it very well 
My frame is not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that uh, were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And so we have a very simple and straightforward uh, outline today, and it begins with the title of the message, Life. Let's just take a look at life for just a moment. And the first point is uh, the uh, point of life. What is the point of life? What point did God give to your life and to mine and to all lives for that matter? If life is from God, there must be a point to life because God doesn't do pointless things. I have looked at some of the things that that are on this earth, and I've wondered what their point might be. I don't understand the point of love bugs. I don't understand that. That's, but I'm sure that there must be a point. Uh, there are other things. I don't understand their points. But there is a point to the life that God has given. What is God's plan? What are His plans for you and for me? What are His plans for our children, for our grandchildren, and for those children who are not yet born. Well, there is a point of life and God has a plan. Let me give you what that plan is, first of all. There's a plan of fellowship with God. God plans for His creation to fellowship with Him. On the sixth day of creation, God made Adam, and later He made Eve, and God made them from His own image, and God empowered them to work with Him and have fellowship with Him. They were created primarily for fellowship with Him. God made you and me for that reason. He made us to have fellowship. I hope that when you come to God's house on Sunday morning, you come with a purpose of having fellowship with one another. And I hope that you uh, sense a great sense of enjoyment uh, with that fellowship that you have here in God's house. But the reality is that beyond this fellowship, there is to be fellowship with God. All of us should have fellowship with God. Uh, I've already had some fellowship with God. You probably have as well. Uh, I fellowshiped with God when I was praying today, and you probably fellowshiped with God in the same way. I fellowshiped with God when I was uh, reading and going over uh, the sermon. I fellowshiped in His Word, and, and you fellowship perhaps are in the Word of God. God made you to have fellowship with Him. People who have little joy and purpose in their lives oftentimes are like that because they have not discovered God's point for themselves or the God's point for their life that they should have fellowship with Him. Some people say, I just want to be alone. I don't want to have fellowship with anybody. Everybody ought to have fellowship with God because that's one of the great points of life. Not only should we have fellowship with God, but our lives should exist to give praise to God. That's yet another reason that we were made. We were made to give praise to God. I want you to see what David said in verse 14 of our text. In Psalm 139 and 14, he said, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Now, God made us to live out His praise. And, and if for nothing else, for the wonderful way that He has made us. God has made us in these unique and powerful and wonderful ways. He has created us in these ways, and God wants us to praise Him. We are a delight 
to God. God made us the way that we are, and we are a delight to Him. Uh, are your children not a delight to you? I know that sometimes they're not, but, but they're, they were born to be a delight to you, were they not? Were your grandchildren not born to be a, a delight to you? When, when uh, last, yesterday afternoon, uh, Jan and I had a great opportunity, we got to take care of little Harper, our youngest grandson. And Harper's not quite a year old yet, and Harper is just so comical, and he was an absolute delight to us. I don't know whether he liked it or not, but I kissed him right here probably a hundred times, and, and, uh, and I tickled him, and, and I just wanted to see him. I wanted to see those little teeth on the bottom and those teeth on the top because he is a delight to me. And then when he went to bed and he laid down in that little bed all sprawled out on the bed, I tiptoed in and I looked down at him because he was a delight to me, is a delight to me. That's the way that we are to God. We are a delight to God. Uh, what is the, the point of, of your life and mine? Well, the point of our lives is that we are to have fellowship with God and we are to praise God because He delights in us. We ought to delight in Him. That's the point of who we are. We should delight. I'm just delighted to be one of God's children. I hope God is delighted that I'm one of His children. I sure hope I'm living to be a delight to you, Lord. That is the point of life. Here's one more. And that is service to God. God made us to have service to Him. Here are a few verses to help us to see the intentions that God had for the work of His hands. Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah 49 and verse 1, The Lord called me from the womb, uh, from the body of my mother. He named me by name. When did the Lord call Him? Well, Isaiah said, The Lord called me from the womb. Uh, when, when I was... Uh, in the body of my mother, God called me. God named my name even then. <clears throat> Going on down to verse 9. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant. What was the point of Isaiah's life? The point of Isaiah's life is the same point for your life. It's the same point for mine. <clears throat> We're supposed to serve God. God made us in a way that we are to have service to him. Here's what Jeremiah wrote. And Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. That's so interesting. Even before he was formed, God knew uh, Jeremiah. Well, would that be true of us? Well, why would it be true of Jeremiah and not us? God has a purpose for Jeremiah's life and Isaiah's life, God has a purpose for my life and your life. There is not one who is born who does not have an intended purpose in life. Everybody has a purpose in life. Now, I've said this more than once. I want to say it again, make it clear. We are born for a purpose, and we're born again to find and fulfill that purpose. I haven't said many things that were rather original to me, but I had never heard anybody else say that before I said it. And it's a good thing to remember. We're born with a purpose and we're born again to be able to find God's purpose in our lives. So then that is the point of life. We are born to have fellowship with God. We are born to give God praise and we are born to serve God. 
That is the point of life. Now, what about the power of life? What about the power that is life itself? 1 John 4 and verse 9 says, And this is the love of God who has made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Now, there is the power of life. The power of life is living through Jesus Christ. The power of life is not going to church, although you ought to go to church, and I'm so thankful that you're in God's house today. The power of life is in Jesus Christ. The power of life is not in the possessions that God gives us, although we're thankful for the possessions that God gives us. The power of life is in living in and through Jesus. The point of life is that we were made uh, by God for God. The power of life is in living through Jesus Christ. So therein lies life. Now let's talk about worth. We've seen life. What about worth? And I'm not talking about the kind of worth that we discussed a few weeks ago when we talked about uh, the, the uh volume and value and, and all those things. I'm talking about something a little bit different today. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? There's your, a question. The psalmist said, I, I, could you tell me what is man that you think about us so much? And, and what is it that, you, that causes you to care so much for us? What makes your life and my life worth living? What makes our lives worth having? So there's not very much to my life. I don't have this. I don't have that. I'm not uh, wealthy in this way. I'm not wealthy in that way. I don't have perhaps as much education as somebody else has, or, or I've not done uh, very much with the education that I have. At least I don't think that I have, and, and on and on it goes. Is, is, that, uh, is that what makes your life valuable? If, if our lives can only be valuable by what we accumulate, then the, most of the world lives throw, will, will be living throwaway lives because most of the world has far less than we have. What is the real value of life? Well, first of all, and I'm going to speak these in the first person if you don't mind, so you apply them to you just like I'm applying them to me. The first reason that I know I'm worth something is because God knows me. I know that I have value because God knows me. It's one thing to know someone. It's even better when they know you. We feel special when a, a person who is important to us remembers our name or picks us out of the crowd. We kind of like that. We kind of like people walking up and saying to us, Aren't you so-and-so? Don't you do this? Don't you do that? Did I used to know you here? Did I used to know you there? You look very familiar to me. It's kind of a cool thing. We, we like those things. It's of value simply, simply to know that somebody knows us. It's of more value to know that, that they are spending time thinking about, about us. I was thinking about your situation. I was thinking about you. I, I was, uh, went to uh, play golf yesterday, and, and there's kind of a group of guys that, that has breakfast, and, and uh, then 
Uh, we go play golf. We don't all play golf with each other, but we kind of have breakfast there. And, and there's one guy who's from Chicago. He's from Chicago. And uh, <clears throat> he's a great guy, Chicago. And uh, there was something that had caused me to think about him. And uh, so I, I sat down uh, there and, and I told him, I said, you know, Pat, I was thinking about you the other day. Oh, yeah, oh, boy. What's he thinking? What's a preacher thinking about me? Ah, yeah, and I told him what I was thinking, and there was somebody else that had reminded me of a situation that had reminded me of him, and, and, uh, and I thought about him. And, uh, you, you know, it's good to think that somebody's been thinking about you, to think that somebody has, has thoughts of you. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know that God thinks about us? God knows us. <clears throat> How well does God know us? Of what value are we to God? Could you put a, a point on it and say, okay, this is how valuable I am to God? Probably. Probably you would undervalue your value to God. If, if uh, you were trading in your life and somebody says, well, what, you like trading a car, you know? Well, what do you think it's worth? Well, you know, I think it's worth so-and-so. Chances are we overvalue our cars and we undervalue our lives. We're worth far more than we think that we're worth. Let me show you what we're worth. Jesus said it in Luke chapter 12 and verse 7. Why, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more value than many sparrows. That's pretty valuable. The very hairs on my head are numbered. You ever comb your hair at the sink and see the hair fall out in the sink or around the sink or on the floor? Here's what you can know. God's making the adjustment. God knows exactly how many hairs are on your head. God knows, ex and, and in fact, you are so valuable to him. You're far more valuable than the sparrows. He knows exactly the hairs that are on your head. Matthew 6 and 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you uh, not of not more value than them? He said in Matthew 10, 31, Fear not, therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. God knows you. You're valuable to Him. Having an, a, a sense of self-esteem and personal worth and personal value is a big thing in our world today. And, and we, we get to ourselves into this comparing things. And, and uh, you teenagers, it, it starts actually before you. It starts when, when you're in elementary school and you start valuing how good you are based on some values, artificial values that you put around you what you can do, who you hang out with, you know, who are your friends on Facebook, uh, how do you dress, did you have the cool shoes, you know, and so, and you, you, start putting, you start putting value on that, and you start determining, and then, and then there's, there develops this order of things, and, and then there's the, the cool kids and the not-so-cool kids and the outright nerds, and, and it's just, you know, and 
and, and you put kind of a value on it. Well, this is worth this many bonus points, and this is worth this many bonus points, and this is worth this many bonus points. And, and before long, you're walking around, and, and you feel all alone without any friends, and the reason is because that you have placed a value system around you that God doesn't deal with. God doesn't value that system that you made up. God values you. God doesn't check with your friends. God doesn't check with the cool kids or your crowd or the crowd you want to be in to see whether or not you're going to be of value to him today. You are valuable to God. He knows you. He knows about the grass in your yard and the anthills, but nowhere in the Word does God indicate that he has a relationship with them, yet he has a relationship with us. And he's gone to great lengths to make it work. God knows me. And I'll tell you this, God knows me because God knew me. Not only does God know me, but he has always known him. Now, I haven't always known God, but he has always known me. Even before there was a me, he knew me. And he knew you too. And he knew your children and all the unborn children. God knows everybody because God knew everybody. Psalm 139, 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. It's an interesting thing today. They, they talk about, with an unborn child, they talk about, uh, use a, a term called viability. When is a child really a child? When is an unborn baby really a person? The question of viability is a matter of when is that baby recognized as a human being? And who makes that call? Who makes the decision when a child should be recognized as a human being? Now, does the mother make that call? When the mother sees it, then is, is the, the child a child? Well, I, as soon as the mother sees it, then the child is going to be a child. Uh, Matt Tharp, you, you, you and, and your beautiful wife, Jess, have a handsome boy named Everett. And he is a fine one. He really is. Now, here's the question. Did Everett become a person when Everett finally saw the light of day? Or was, was he a person uh, when y'all, well, when you discovered that you were going to have a baby? Did you say then, when you were going to discover that you're going to have a baby, hey, Jess, I can't wait until this baby's real. That baby was real. He caused some real issues for Jess. He probably caused some issues for you along the way. That baby was real. Is that when you, you say, okay, the baby is viable, when the mother decides or the father decides? Who makes that call? Is it the doctor? Does the doctor decide, okay, now this baby, uh, yesterday this wasn't uh, a viable human being, but today this baby is a viable uh, human being. The, the question, I guess, is, is which one of us on this earth gets to make that call? Which one of us on this earth gets to decide, okay, today 
he, today, she is a real baby? Or does God get that call? Well, of course, the answer is God gets that call. Personhood is decided of God. I cannot tell you that God's interest in me began when I was born any more than I could say that his interest began when I was born again. As far as I know, God has always been interested in me and he's always been interested in you. I was born to uh, Fountain and Estelle Ray. I was the last of nine children of Fountain and Estelle Ray. You say, well, God started thinking about you when Fountain and Estelle uh, had conceived you and, and you were about to be born. That's when God began to think about you. Oh, no, no, no. My oldest sister's Margie. Margie's in her 80s. So Margie, in fact, shortly after my mother became pregnant with me, Margie and her husband became pregnant with my nephew. I was born, and, and then a few months later, my nephew was born. And I, I mean, I, God was up there scratching his head saying, how could I have done this? I goofed up. <laughs> no. God knew us way ahead of time. God knew me before Margie was born. You say, well, how can he do that? Well, because he's God for crying out loud. He's God. The, the, the sovereign, look, look, God knows everything. No, he doesn't know the stuff that hasn't happened. Oh, yeah, he does. It's called the revelation. God knows it all. God knew me. As far as I know, God has always been interested in me. He's always been interested in you. My worth and yours is wrapped in the truth that God knows us and he has always known us. Even more, God loves me. He doesn't just know me, he loves me. 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. This is the best news of all. God loves me. God loves you. Regardless of your past, God loves you. Regardless of your present, God loves you. Regardless of your future, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you from the beginning to the end. God absolutely loves you. There's no way that I can express to you the extent of God's love. He loves you in the major matters of your life and, and has a considerable interest in them, and he loves you in the smallest of needs. God loves you. Doesn't matter. God loves the uh, love for the unborn is the extent of his love for us. He loves us when our problems are big, and he loves us when our problems are small. He, he loves us when we are grown, and he loves the child some of you are carrying within you today. And by the way, moms and dads, you began loving your child before they were born too, just like uh, Matt and Jess began to love Everett before. They named him before he was born. They loved him so much before he was born, they gave him a name. God is the giver of life, and life uh, has worth to God, and God knows me, and God knew me, and God loves me, and God is working in my life. He is.
Job 7, 17 says, what is man that you make so much of him, that you set your heart on him, visit him every morning and test him every moment. You know what Job knew? Job knew that God was always working on me and you. We go to sleep at night, but he never slumbers or sleep. He stays on the job. God is not dormant. He does not have, when does God get tired? He doesn't get tired. Why doesn't he get tired? Because he's not like you and me. Hey, let me tell you this. God went to that game last night. And he went to a bunch of other games. He went to games out on the, uh, the, the West Coast. He, he went to games to all kinds of places, and then God showed up here. He never slumbers or sleeps. We are valuable to God. Allow God to work in our lives. And, and uh, the most certain way to, to show him his value to you is to value yourself and, and acknowledge, God, you made me. Now, we've examined two words this, this uh, uh, morning. They relate to life. First of all, there's life and there's worth. I want to give you one more, and we're done. And that is the word rights. <clears throat> now that's a word you don't often hear in this church I don't, I don't preach a lot about rights uh, some churches you that's all you ever hear are rights messages but there are rights and I want to give them to you at least one of them here's an excerpt from the Declaration of Independence of the United States of America it says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights and that among these are life, there's the first one, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Jesus gave us these uh, words uh, that, that we have, and it's, it's, kind of a, uh, it's, it's kind of a support of what I've just read. Jesus said in, in John chapter 10 and verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But here's what Jesus said, I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know what Jesus has given us? You know what God has given us? He's given us the right to life. That comes from God. I'm come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. What kind of life? Every kind of life. God intends for every soul to have the right to live, receive salvation, and rejoice in God's abundance. Uh, what are our rights and, and what are the rights of the unborn? Let me give you two or three and uh, then I'm finished today. First of all, our right and the right of the unborn is the right to be a blessing. Our children and the unborn children have a right to be a blessing. Psalm 127.3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. God intended for children to be a blessing. They're not always looked on as a blessing. Each year now in America, 1.2 million children's lives are taken before they can be the blessing that God intended for them to be. 1.2 million are taken. Uh, nevertheless, God gave them the right to be a blessing. Every child that is aborted, every child that is, is, uh, whose life is taken through abortion, every single one of those children were God intended for them to be a blessing. Here's the second thing. They have the right to be a blessing. They have the right to be happy. In America, 98% of teen birth mothers who carry a child to term opt for single parenthood over adoption. For teen girls, pregnancy is the chief cause of dropping out of school, 
and those who keep their children are more likely to have uh, another pregnancy without being married. They're also more likely to remain unmarried and to have serious economic and job problems. Those who place their babies for adoption, on the other hand, tend to get more education, avoid a, a repeat or, uh, <clears throat> or abortion, or an out of, uh, another uh, aborted out-of-wedlock pregnancy, and do better in, in both employment and finances. You say, well, then that's the case for abortion right there. Abort the child, don't keep the child, and uh, everybody's happier and does better. Not so. Now, I, I believe this. I, I believe that adoption is a huge option for the unborn child. For the child whose mother either can't or won't raise the child. I want to I ask a, kind of a, a series of questions here. And, uh, and I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable, but I'm going to ask you to participate with me. How many of you either, you, you either work in or you volunteer at a... Um, you volunteer at an agency or something that is, that is kind of centered around uh, at, at some point trying to adopt children out, either you maybe with a Baptist children's home or a women's pregnancy center, but there's, you have some relation to adoption in that way in that you either work there or you volunteer there. Would you please stand up? There's a few of you. Would you stand up? All right, we've got one, two, three up here in the balcony, and anybody else down here on the floor that... Uh, does the women's pregnancy center you, you work with? All right, <clears throat> keep standing up, keep standing up up there. Okay, these are some that work with, more ought to work uh, in that regard. More ought to volunteer at Florida Baptist Children's Home, more ought to volunteer at a women's pregnancy center, and on and on it goes. Let me ask you this question. How many of you in this room have at some point adopted a child or been a foster parent? Would you stand up? You have either adopted a child <clears throat> or been a foster parent. Would you please stand up? Okay. Uh, so we've got uh, two, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Okay, we've got <clears throat> a, lot, a lot more. Got some back there. All right. That's good. Now, everybody's still standing. Now, now watch this. <clears throat> if you are adopted, that is, that, that you did not grow up with your birth parents because of death or being given up for adoption or, or whatever it may be, and someone else adopted you, and now you're either a teenager or you're a grown person, and, and you have been adopted uh, by someone, would you please stand and remain standing, okay? And now we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, is that seven, um, eight, 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 nine? Okay, I see nine or ten in here. All right, now, now look around and see these people. Here's, here's what I want you to understand. All of these people, and, and oh, there's, there's uh, is Vanessa uh, Parker up there today? I don't see Vanessa. She's not up there today? Okay, Some, I, I will see, she's not here. Sometimes adopted children lose their way and don't go to church on Sunday morning. But uh, <clears throat> she's also a gator, so I don't know how that works in. I really don't. I don't know how that works in. But, uh, uh, oh, what a, what a great day. Yeah, there's, there's my girl, Savannah. Uh, Savannah? 
How about that? You know, some, some other birth mother, I guess, gave birth to you, but look who picked you. These two great people, huh? And I'm going to tell you this, I've had long conversations with both of them about you, and they are absolutely adore you. Oh, Bethany, I remember the day that I got a phone call, Bethany. I don't know if you know this or not, but I got a phone call. And the phone call said, there's a baby that's going to be born. Do you have anyone in your church who would like to have a child? And I went immediately to your mom and dad. And I said, here's a situation. And I told them. And they said, yes. They did. I remember it. Perry, you're, you're our executive pastor here. But it wasn't your birth father or your birth mother that raised you, was it? No. Someone found Perry and adopted him. I can tell you this about all of these people who are standing today. That's, that's a little crying stuff, isn't it, Kara? I can tell you this about all of these people who are standing today. They value life, and God values them. I, I, let's give God a hand, okay? Would you, you be seated? <laughs> in many cases, in, if not most, adoption is a better choice. It's always the better, not always a better choice, but often it's the better choice. Children have rights. They have the right to be a blessing. They have the right to be happy. And let me give you one more and we're done. They have the right to be saved. In Matthew 18 and verse 10 and following, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Who do you think if I if a man has a, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray and he does not leave the ninety and nine on the mountains and goes to search the one that went astray. And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety and nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. One of the most joyous events in this church is when a child gets saved. I'm looking forward with great anticipation to the children in the nursery now and in children's church now coming to the day of being saved. When my grandson Bradford comes to an understanding of his need for salvation and he asks Jesus to come into his heart. When my grandson Harper, I'm looking forward to him taking his first steps. I'm looking forward to him saying, Pops. I'm looking forward to it, to a lot of those things, but the first day that he comes to, the day he comes to know Jesus, that's the day. I want to close by reading you a story. This kind of brings it all together. On a bright, beautiful day full of promise, Mavis laid an egg. This was not, or this was not an extraordinary event since Mavis was a chicken, but Mavis was not pleased. An egg, an egg, what do I want with an egg, said Mavis to herself. An egg, it's just not in my plans, I've got to get rid of it. 
And so Mavis sat on the edge of her nest looking at the egg for a while. Then she went out in the barnyard and she picked up a rock. And she carried it into the hen house and lifted it over her head and was about to crash it into the egg when she heard, Stop! An old bitty hen was standing in the doorway. Child, what on earth are you doing with that rock? Well, I was just going to crack open this egg. She said softly, Whatever for, Biddy asked. It looks like a perfectly good egg to me. Well, if I don't, my life is going to be ruined. First, I'll have to sit on it day and night, and then it might hatch, and I'm just not ready to have a cheeping little chick follow me around all the time. I don't think I can handle it. I want life. Looks to me like you've got a life there. Who knows what it will become, the next uh, cockadoodle rooster or maybe a mother hen. Life is full of possibilities. Maybe it's everything you said is true, but it, but it sure would be a shame to break such a beautiful egg, Biddy said kindly. I don't know what to do. I wish it were someone else and not me. I know, said Biddy. These kinds of choices are not easy. It's important that you think about it first. Don't rush your decision. There's time for planning. You, you can't put that shell back together after it's broken. Betty put her big warm wing around Mavis and she held her close. Why don't we pray about it together? And after that, I'll be here if you need me, she said. Betty, you're the best, said Mavis. You're pretty okay yourself, Biddy said. Well, you know what? Sometimes an old Biddy can be loving and helpful. And the Mavises and the Laurie's Linda's Susan's benefit greatly by one of us just putting our arm around him saying can we just pray together you've been listening to the family bible hour a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee Florida with your speaker Dr. Randy Ray. You can visit us at North Florida Baptist Church, 3000 North Meridian Road, Tallahassee, Florida, 32312. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week at this same time for the Family Bible Hour.